This episode is being brought to you by Mount St. Joseph University. Mount St. Joseph University offers a number of programs for educators interested in graduate or doctoral work focused on the science of reading. We are accredited by the International Dyslexia Association and offer a fully online reading science certificate, dyslexia certificate, and master's degree. The doctoral program is fully online during the school year with an annual on-campus summer institute. To learn more, visit our website, msj.edu backslash reading science. Hi, I'm Laura Stewart from the Reading League. Welcome to Teaching, Reading, and Learning, the podcast. The focus of this podcast is to elevate important conversations in the educational community in order to inspire, inform, and celebrate contributions to teaching and learning. Today's guest is Jessica Pasek, and Jessica is a former special education teacher and currently a reading specialist. Um, and you'll just hear about her, her journey, and I believe you'll be inspired by her journey, especially um, if perhaps if you're a new teacher, um, kind of the wisdom she imparts about coming up as a new teacher, I think will really support you in your own journey. So welcome and enjoy. All right. Our guest today is Jessica Pasek. Jessica is a licensed New York State Reading Specialist in the Fulton City School District. She received her Master's of Science in Literacy Education from, from SUNY Oswego and is currently an adjunct professor of literacy there. She previously received her Bachelor of Science degree in Childhood Education from SUNY Geneseo and is certified in elementary and special education grades K through six. She formerly taught special education at Cayuga Onondaga BOCES and the Fulton City School District. She's also a private tutor and is a passionate advocate for evidence-based practices in reading instruction. I have the privilege of knowing Jessica as she is a Reading League board member at large. And I'm excited to talk with you today, Jessica, because it's so important that we hear from educators like you doing the work day in and day out. And also, I think it's really important that we elevate young voices in the community, and that's you. So thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's quite an honor. Oh, great. Um, so, so I thought we'd, we'd start by talking about kind of your origins as a teacher and then just your perspectives on where we are um, in an educational community, especially around the science of reading, and then maybe some ideas about the future. So, so tell oh, us sure. what made you decide to go into education. I know it's it's a personal story for you. So tell us. Sure. I think like I think like most teachers, um, a lot of us are interested in becoming um, involved in education because we like kids, right? And we want to make a difference, and we care about um, these children and their futures. Uh, for me, you're right. It was a little bit more specific. My younger brother Andrew has autism. And um, my parents took a very active role in his education when he was young. So my basement essentially was a classroom. And I was privy to watching dozens of therapists and teachers come in and out of our house. And I was just fascinated by the work that they did and watching my brother learn and grow. And my mother was also a teacher. I have a couple aunts that were also teachers. So it was certainly a big part of my family and my upbringing. 
Um, and so it, it was kind of always a natural inclination for me. There was never really a time where I didn't want to be a teacher. Um, it's changed and evolved a little bit over the years. I really was gung-ho about becoming a special education teacher, naturally, because, mm-hmm. you know, my brother received special education services his whole life. I really wanted to help, you know, that population. Um, and so that's why I pursued uh, special education at Geneseo. Um, but it's, it's changed a little bit over the years, but that was kind of the initial um, spark, the initial. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you went from special education to, to really focusing on reading. What, yeah. what caused you to kind of go there? Yeah, it's, it's interesting to look back and kind of, you know, it wasn't ever really one defining moment, rather it was several um, kind of smaller epiphanies I had along the way. Mm-hmm. I, part of that was by chance. I always saw myself in more of a self-contained setting, um, again, re- because that's kind of where my brother was and I admired his teachers so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I ended up getting a job in the Fulton City School District as um, a consultant teacher. So I did co-teaching and small group instruction. Um, and I, so that was a, a, um, a bit of a shift from what I had originally thought, but it really allowed me to see a diverse group, diverse range of students and abilities and become familiar with the core curriculum, you know, that New York State uses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I, I, it was several things. I, I struggled a lot as new teachers do in the beginning because I had such a range of abilities and mm-hmm. I, I had a hard time figuring out where to begin, what they needed, how to make them grow, just yeah. agonizing, you know, day in and day out about mm-hmm. feeling, feeling rather ineffective, um, I guess, to, to kind of sum it up. Um, at that same time, I was completing my master's degree in literacy at SUNY Oswego. And so I had the absolute privilege of having Dr. Maria Murray for two practicum courses at the end of my program. And that really is where I first learned about the science of reading and evidence-based instruction. And then, you know, that's really kind of what changed, changed everything. Okay. Got it. So, so a couple of things you, you touched on. One is that, that feeling of inadequacy, especially as a beginning teacher and, and really what a struggle that is and, and always trying to, you know, kind of find some answers. So how would you characterize your initial teacher preparation program, um, your undergraduate teacher preparation program, specifically around literacy education or the mm-hmm. science of reading? Was it there? Not there? How prepared? Um, yeah, at large, I, I would say no. Um, you know, bits and pieces of what make up the larger framework of the science of reading. You know, I, I had heard of phonics. I had heard of things like phonemes, right? Very minimally, a very surface yeah. level understanding. Um, you know, I think like most undergrad programs, you have a few courses in about, you know, methods for math, for, for reading, um, science and social studies is a pretty um, kind of generic, I guess, um, first first round of instruction, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, again, I, I was um, kind of hyper-focused on special education. So those were the classes where I really dug in, right? And I was so excited to have, you know, the mock CSE meetings and writing IEPs and you know, it kind of came to a screeching halt when I was in the classroom because just because you have the ability to, to write an IEP doesn't mean you're able to deliver those services effectively. Um, yeah. You know, there was this big kind of missing piece about what do I actually do with the students in front of me that struggle. Um, and I think that's something when you're young, you kind of just maybe take for granted that you'll figure it out or, mm-hmm. you know, you're kind of told that, well, you'll learn as you go or you'll learn from your mentor teachers or you'll learn from the, the curriculum that you're given. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, that tends not to happen. So um, I was very lucky in my master's program to eventually um, come across this, the science of reading because yeah. I know even um, even though that seems late in my teacher preparation program, um, I know that that is still pretty unique. A lot of people go through 
Mm-hmm. Several <laughs> degrees, perhaps even, and you know, several years in their career before yeah. uh, they come across this knowledge base. So I do consider myself very lucky. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, um, what you said was just kind of resonated with me. Um, you know, I, I read somewhere that beginning teachers oftentimes are not prepared well in their teacher preparation program. And so many times they rely on how they were taught yes. as a student. Yes. That I, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, for me, I was lucky in that I didn't really struggle too much um, with academics. It, it always came very easy for me. I, I guess you could say I was, would be in that percentage where it probably didn't matter whatever pro- type of reading program you did, I would have been okay. However, mm-hmm. that's not the case for at least, you know, 60% of our students. Yeah. Um, so for me, it, I had a hard time even drawing upon that because I didn't necessarily remember the ins and outs. I remembered loving school. I remembered, you know, loving my teachers and, Mm -hmm. you know, that was the initial spark to get into education. Um, But I as a new teacher, I was just kind of relying on my colleagues and what the status quo was. But I know that is a big motivator for, um, you know, several new teachers, um, you know, kind of drawing on what they Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. and even veteran teachers, you know, drawing on kind of things, being done the way they've always been done, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, we, that mantra, that notion of we've always done yeah. things this way. Yeah. That can be yeah. pretty dangerous. So, so what was the, um, what was like a, like a big aha or a big um, revelation yeah. when you started taking classes in your master's, yeah. uh, specifically with Maria? Yeah, I actually can pinpoint this to one moment. Um, I, I remember it was the first practicum course and we were going through the five-step lesson plan using an intervention called Road to Reading. And, you know, I was, I was interested. I'm like, okay, we're kind of learning here about the ins and outs of how this works. And then she actually went through it with um, kind of like a, a simulation, I guess, with the, um, the symbols, the, the uh, I believe it's the um, International Phonetic Alphabet. <laughs> alphabet yeah. um, and so it was up to represent kind of for us to realize how difficult it is for young students mm-hmm. to connect a symbol with a sound. So she essentially went through what a lesson would look like with a student going from um, saying sounds in isolation to building words, reading them in isolation, writing them. And that's where I distinctly remember I said, that's so cool. And yeah. she looked at me and she was like, yeah, it is. And it, it, that was like that moment where I'm like, oh my God, th- this is, this is how it's done. Th- th- I had never seen anything like that. And that was just mm-hmm. the tip of the iceberg. So I was able to start, I was luck- luckily I was teaching while I was taking those classes. So I was able to kind of, take some students in my small groups and just start dabbling, just start trying. Um, and I started seeing results and I was just hungry for more. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That, that's taking you through a simulation yeah. and having you actually experience what it's like, you know, to yeah. learn a code and apply that code. Yeah. That, that's, that's a very powerful. It's something yeah. we take for granted because you know, we're, we think that children, because they're around letters and they see them all the time, they inherently know, you know, the alphabetic principle and it's, that's often not the case. So it was a very humbling, very powerful um, class that I'll never forget. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about that, Jessica, is I, you know, that was kind of the pervasive belief when I came up as a teacher, you know, that we can immerse kids in this and crown them with print and somehow they kind of intuit how all this works. And here you are all that many years later coming up as a teacher, that still pervasive belief interesting yeah and it, I don't ever remember it being said in those specific words when I was you know in my undergraduate work but that was certainly I think the implication that was certainly yeah. the message about mm-hmm. um you know surrounding kids with literature quality text and you know of course we want to do that but that simply isn't sufficient in and of itself right I mean that yeah I think that's the point right yes okay. that we don't want to minimize that 
we right. want to make sure that we're spending time, you know, in our teacher preparation program, not just on that, but also developing our understanding of how kids learn to read and how we Absolutely. can instruct them in that. Yeah, that's essential. Yeah. So, um, so what, what courses do you teach? So, right, well, the first course I taught um, last semester, I was actually able to teach Lit uh, Lit 509, which was the first course I had Marie in. So that was very special for me to be able to to teach, to, you know, take what I've learned and, um, you know, create a syllabus and content and then deliver that to graduate students. So um, obviously things got a little, you know, bit different. (laughs) We had to adjust with, uh, you know, COVID-19, but we were able to still meet virtually. It was a small group of very wonderful students, um, and we were able to work with some students virtually, and they, they still, I, I, I think, I hope, <laughs> gained a, some knowledge about, you know, assessment and intervention, and currently I'm teaching Lit 314, which is an undergraduate degree, or excuse me, an undergraduate course at Oswego, um, similar to, to the course, the math, um, graduate course, mm-hmm. um, just at a bit of a uh, smaller scale. Okay. You don't go oh, quite nice. as in depth. It's a little bit more of a, yeah. um, like a little bit of a preview. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Nice and how nice, yeah. how nice that you can take what yeah. you've learned and, and continue to pass it, you know, pay it forward, right? Pass yeah, it it's a different, it's a different type of energy. You know, when you're teaching teachers, it's a different skill set, and it's been, you know, it's been really rewarding because if I can help them, you know, like I said, I feel lucky that I learned all of this um, as early on as I did, but if I can give it to, you know, pre, pre-service teachers, you know, just when they're just beginning, I mean, that's even better. Yeah. What do you think is, um, what do you think is the biggest, I mean, as you work with teachers, yeah. you know, in-service teachers, what do you think mm-hmm. is there, what do you think are some of the bigger obstacles in taking that, what they're learning and applying mm-hmm. it to their own practice? What do you think are some yeah. of the obstacles? I think it can be a couple of different things. Um, I mean, the overall culture of, of a building, you know, can make a huge difference. And that really, a lot of times that comes down to leadership and administration. So if you're lucky enough um, to have strong leadership, like I am at my school, in my district, uh, that's a huge advantage because then, you know, they're more likely to listen to their, to really, really listen kind of to what their teachers are saying and their concerns are, and to be, to be willing to shift and pivot and try different things. Um, being, being responsive and being realistic to where their students are, um, mm-hmm. but also the trust that comes with a strong classroom or school-wide culture, really. Um, sometimes it's, sometimes it can be logistical things, you know, scheduling, staff and resources, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, time, things like that. Um, those are all things that certainly don't have to stand in your way. By no means am I saying that, but I think, you know, day in and day out when you're, when you're, you know, on, you know, you're, you're in the classroom in front of students all day, it can be very hard to, you know, you know, implement these changes if you feel like you have to make these massive shifts. Um, yeah. And sometimes just, you know, past experiences, um, kind of like what you were saying before about um, perhaps you're, you're very, a, a teacher may be very um, particular about how they were taught or how they've done things in the past. Mm-hmm. It can be very scary to, you know, change your practice, especially if there's that, you know, kind of implication that if I have to change and do something to become better, it seems to imply that what I was doing before was wrong. And um, there was one great webinar, I think Maria was a guest on it a while back, and uh, I don't remember who exactly said it, but there was a great line that stuck with me is that you don't have to, you don't have to be bad to get better, right? And, that, and that's a huge motto of the reading league is that when you know better, you do better. So um, I think having that mentality is, and that understanding is huge, but if it's not there, it could lead to a lot of fear and anxiety and yeah you know I, I go back to um one of the things that I read in one of the Ed Week articles 
which is, you know, there's no, this is a no shame zone. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. No shame, there's no blame. We, yeah. have, we have unfinished work around literacy. Yeah. I think, I, I think that's, that's huge. And it goes back to culture and this, like a collect, you know, a collective c- commitment, the idea that these are our kids. Um, and then we, we all own them. We, we're all responsible for instructing them, everyone in the school. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and you mentioned something else that, along those lines about, um, you know, a realistic assessment of where our kids are and having that kind of, you know, um, just moment where we go, whoa, mm-hmm. all of our kids aren't learning right. to read. You know, I think about um, Ernesto Ortiz did that webinar for us for the symposium. And one thing he said is, you know, they celebrated because they, from one year to the next, they'd made some significant growth. Mm-hmm. But then he sat, he stood back and he said, yeah, we've made growth, but four out of 10 of our kids mm-hmm. still aren't at grade level. Yeah. And it was like, okay, we have to face this yeah. and then think about where they could be and right. how do we keep moving? How do we keep right. filling that gap? So, so is that culture, is that a culture that you have, you know, as a, as a young teacher has, you, you've come into teaching with that or is it something that you've learned through your own experiences? I think it's, you know, a work in progress. It's something that I think, you know, we aspire to be, um, I, I don't know if you're ever really fully there. I think it's always, a, a, you know, a process of growth. You know, certainly you want to celebrate your little victories. You know, maybe you only had one out of 10 students reading. And so, of course, if you get to four, that's, that's, that means you're doing something, you know, you're on the right track. But, yeah. it, you know, the idea of kind of always being, you're all, you know, always pushing the limit and trying, trying to get better. And yeah. I don't think you're ever done, you know, with, I love with that. that idea. I love that. Okay, so let's pause here because I want everybody on the podcast to hear this. Mm-hmm. We're a work in progress. Yeah. We're never fully done. Yeah. We're never fully there. And we just keep moving forward. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I think that's awesome. <laughs> I think that just, you know, captures re- reality and, you know, what we, what we aspire to be too, because yeah. and that, know, that's we, we have so to be important. realistic about yes. where we are. And what, Absolutely. That's why it's be. so important. We hear from you, <laughs> hear from you. It's so important. <laughs> So what do you think, um, what do you think teachers and administrators oftentimes might get wrong about the science of reading? I think it can be, you know, I think it depends on where you're coming from, but, you know, just the phrases kind of that have evolved even over the, you know, the last few years Mm -hmm. um, can be intimidating. And I think it can mean different things to different people. I think misconceptions can be a huge barrier. Um, Oftentimes, you know, if you're faced with this idea that you have to make these massive shifts, it's easy to kind of, especially as educators, we want to, you know, just take everything on and, you know, full speed ahead. But, you know, we have to kind of stop and step back and say, well, what are, what are we already doing that's working? That's working well. What are some little tweaks that we can make? What are some minor changes? Um, And so I I think um, the misconceptions can be a big thing about, about things like dyslexia or, um, you know, even just some simpler understandings, you know, something like the difference between phonemic awareness and phonics. Um, and then just, I guess, uh, understanding about, you know, the quote unquote reading wars and people mm. think that, you know, oh, well, this is just another pendulum, sw- another pendulum swing. Um, yeah. I think just the misconceptions are, are the biggest barrier. Yeah. So what, what are some of those misconceptions that you think have, have, um, have really continued to fuel the fire of the reading wars. Yeah, I think that, you know, I've certainly heard teachers say, you know, when they're looking at, you know, new curriculum that 
has a strong code emphasis, especially in the early years that, you know, they may be concerned that, well, we're not doing enough with comprehension. You know, this is a pendulum swing to phonics and that, you know, the students are just word callers. Um, Mm. But then on the same token, if, you know, you look at something like the, um, you know, the knowledge trend and certain curriculums where they're building content, you know, they might, other people might be concerned, well, you might not be doing enough foundational work and Mm. you have to understand it's important to have a deep understanding about all the aspects of evidence-based reading because mm-hmm. every, you know, every part plays a role and you, you can't have a strong curriculum or strong instruction if, if any piece is missing. Yeah. Do you think, um, you mentioned something interesting. You said the, just the science of reading can be intimidating. Mm-hmm. What do you think is intimidating? Is it because we're looking at research and teachers aren't typically mm-hmm. brought up in a research kind of environment or do you think it's the term science of reading that's intimidating? Yeah. I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, off, you know, when we think about education, um, it's not necessarily, you know, synonymous with science, right? We think about all the, you know, the, all the joy and the passion and the love and the creativity, I guess, that we, that we often bring to it that I think we're a little hesitant as a profession to look at it from a clinical lens. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think, and I I agree um, that, it's, it, research isn't something that we're really privy to in our, mm-hmm. you know, undergraduate and graduate programs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can, that can certainly be intimidating. Um, you know, we're not really taught to, you know, you do like, you know, maybe a little bit of research here and there in your programs, but you're certainly not familiar with, you know, journals and articles and yeah. large databases. And mm-hmm. even if you have an article in front of you, you, you know, it can be very long and the jargon is complex and, mm-hmm. um, it's just not something I think that people are familiar with. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to Tim Shanahan about this, and he kind of said the same thing. He said, you know, um, educators aren't brought up typically understanding research. Right. What, is it, right. what does evidence really mean? Right. And right. What, what are methodologies of research? What does effect size mean? Um, oh. Those aren't courses we typically have. Absolutely, yeah. I, yeah, I agree. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so what do you think really um, is going to move the needle as we think about, you know, the future? What do you, what do you think is going to really continue to, to move us forward? Well, I think at our core, educators are very social beings and we um, kind of thrive and through connection and, you know, sharing stories and seeing kids grow, seeing results. I think, you know, building senses of community between teachers um, is really how this, this, this work is going to be moved forward. Um, you know, you, you really can't, it's very hard for a profession such as us to kind of come just from the top and say, you know, you're going to do this without a reason why we, you know, we are as much as we may be not be um, incredibly clinical. We are, you know, we are logical. We are planners. We like to know things why we're doing them. Right. Like we want to see results because it's, it is a very complex job. We have, we wear lots of hats. We take on lots of roles, so we want to know that if we're going to, you know, change something, invest our time into something new, that it's going to benefit our kids. We want, you know, every teacher out there is doing the best that they can with what they have, wanting with, with the goal of teaching their kids and having their children grow. So seeing stories about how um, adopting uh, evidence-aligned instruction and practices that align with the science of reading, um, how that's benefiting kids, I think that's really what 
is going to get teachers to buy in and, and want to know more. I think it's going to come really come from that intrinsic place of mm-hmm. seeing results, seeing, seeing, you know, the power that this type of work has and wanting to know more and wanting to, you know, do it. I've, I've seen it a little bit yeah. in my own uh, district and county really at large um, with some of the work that the reading league's been doing through uh um, Oakley, the, the Sweden yeah, County Literacy yeah. Initiative. Yeah, tell tell our listeners about that because our listeners yeah. know about that project and how, yeah. what that has meant to your county. Absolutely. So it's a really exciting opportunity. Um, I believe we're in the, the third year of it. I think that I believe, yeah. which is incredible to say, um, mm-hmm. the the schools in Oswego County came together um, under the guidance of the Reading League's leadership to really take a look at what we're doing as a county, especially in terms of professional development. Um, They really made a commitment to coming together and and embracing the practices of the science of reading Mm -hmm. through some very specific professional development Mm -hmm. um, from the Reading League. So what what that looks like in practice thus far, anyway, has been um, attending uh, superintendent's conference days. We typically Mm -hmm. have two of those per year. And so as a district, um, the commitment has been made that all teachers um, from those, uh, I believe it's uh, pre-K through third currently, um, will attend the the same professional development opportunities. So we're all hearing the same messages um, about the science of reading. And we really started at the beginning um, with concepts like the simple view of reading, Scarborough's Rope, Mm -hmm. um, and really just building a solid level of uh, background knowledge mm-hmm. um, for teachers to draw upon. And then from there, it's, it's morphed a bit more. Um, certain districts have been able to do letters training, the language essentials for teachers of reading and spelling. Um, my district was one of those. So that's, that was a really incredible opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, again, um, I've kind of come across this knowledge um, through my graduate program and just through my own kind of <laughs> nerdy interests in reading and, and whatnot. But um, it, that was an absolutely incredible course. So I was very, very fortunate to be part of that. Um, I, I know a couple other districts are starting to invest in sending their teachers as well. Um, and then they've also had um, uh, coaches at the, at some, at the schools that are participating in this um, initiative that are trained by, again, Reading League, leadership and mm-hmm. and that's a really powerful piece because you know it's one thing to go to a professional development a session and be all amped up and excited right and then, then you know and then a day goes by and then two days go by and then the week's gone by and it's it's almost as like wait what did, what did we talk about there so <laughs> this initiative is really different because it's it's not a one and done it's ongoing on-site support so mm-hmm. the coaches have been an incredible um instrumental piece mm-hmm. for this initiative yeah, so it's exciting to see. It's still early, but um, and uh, unfortunately, it's been a little inter- interrupted as it has everything. Um, but we're looking forward to you know get really gearing up this year and yeah, doing what we can, whether it's in person, hybrid, you know, remote. Um, yeah. we'll still keep at it. That's awesome. <laughs> it's been yeah. Very powerful. Yeah, I mean that that really um, says a lot about you know, the, the, um, you, you use the word commitment quite a few mm-hmm. times when you just, when you were describing mm-hmm. this and it feels mm-hmm. to me like that's a theme that you've been bringing up throughout this, um, this talk we've had yeah. is just that, that channeling that commitment mm-hmm. toward this effort. Because as you mentioned, teachers are committed to their children. Teachers are committed to doing right by their students. So mm-hmm. how do we channel that commitment in a way that can really be targeted 
on, you know, bringing the evidence to bear um, yeah. in practice. Yeah, it's, um, and I think, you know, it's one thing to, it can be even a challenge within a grade level team to adopt this notion of that these are our kids and we're owning them, but now you're doing it, you know, school-wide, district-wide, county-wide. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really incredible to see, and it's been just a great opportunity for us to connect with other schools and districts and, yeah. you know, kind of learn together and share, share what's working. And when we're all kind of on the same page, yeah. you know, it's, it's amazing really what, what we can do, what we can accomplish. Um, and I, you know, I've seen firsthand, you know, my colleagues really embrace this work, you know, coming from multiple um, philosophies and ideologies. Um, they've really, you know, kind of jumped in very bravely. Um, mm-hmm. So I just immensely, you know, applaud them for mm-hmm. this. And it's, it, we're, the, you know, it, I'm seeing really big shifts just from mm-hmm. within a few years at my school. Um, lot, you know, lots of changes. That oh, that's people are excited. You know, it's again, that intrinsic kind of no one's really telling them to do these things. Yeah, it's, it's exactly. They're getting excited about what they're learning and that they want to put it in practice. And I think that's what's going to move the needle. Yeah. So that's, that's very exciting that you've seen, um, like you said, your colleagues coming from different multiple perspectives, mm-hmm. you know, really jumping on board and coming along. What do you, what do you think it takes? Um, and you've mentioned a few different ingredients here, but what do you think it takes to really make that leap of faith? Like if, if initially you're a person who is kind of resistant to this because, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're pretty committed to the things that you've done. Um, and you've seen success with some of your students, if not most of your students, what do you mm-hmm. think it takes to kind of really break through that and say, you know, there's something here I'm going to yeah. pursue. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, like, again, for me, it was that moment in um, Maria's classroom where I saw, you know, kind of like a light bulb went off and I saw just a way of thinking and a way of teaching that I hadn't thought about before, but yet that made incredible sense to me. So mm-hmm. I don't always think it's this big light bulb moment. It might just be something that sparks your attention and you're, you're curious about learning more. So yeah. I think it has to really come from the individual um, yeah. Yeah. that innate curiosity about, well, what if I just tried this? Um, and then from there, it's kind of like a snowball effect. Um, and I just think, you know, mm-hmm. again, going back to the idea of, of, of a community, if you're, learning with your colleagues and you're all trying something new, you know, the, the risk is, seems much, much less. Mm-hmm. If you're all kind of jumping in together and saying, well, you know, let, let's try this guys. Let's see what happens. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, the relationships between teachers is, is huge. And that kind of goes back to administration. I think yeah. well. having, culture. you know, having them, you know, mm-hmm. having that sense of that it's okay to take risks and try some different things and, you know, that we're all kind of yeah. learning together. Well, yeah, like you said, like you said before, the culture, which mm-hmm. is oftentimes, you know, carried through the leadership for sure. Yeah. Um, I love the word that you use, curiosity. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really, that's a wonderful trait in general, yeah. right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's one of those traits we want our children to have or we want our children to, to keep, you know, children mm-hmm. are naturally curious. And mm-hmm. it seems to me that that's a, a, just a wonderful trait to live through life, yeah. right? Is yeah, I think as, yeah, I think as teachers, we're always looking um, you know, for, you know, I don't, I, I hate to say this, but like tips, you know, we use the phrases like tips and tricks because, and that's not what it is, but we're always looking for little ways, I guess, to improve. Right. So, and maybe you do conceptualize it. Maybe something is as simple as, Oh, let me try this. This was, this was a, a little trick or a little tip that I learned, but it could be a very, you know, it could be a practice that is rooted in the science of reading. You know, maybe you do, 
phonemic awareness warm up and you know that to you is a little tip yeah. but that, that's something that you know is going to help your students so yeah you know I think how you kind of conceptualize it mm. to make it a little bit less intimidating yeah <laughs> it can just be you know let's just try this one little activity let's try let's try something different you know here and um that was one of the themes of um uh, in the first or second year I think um of the Oswego County Literacy Initiative was the idea of um uh, pulling weeds and planting flowers. So what can we, what can we maybe take off of our plate? Mm -hmm. You know, the proverbial weeds that we can pull that we don't need to be doing anymore because perhaps it really wasn't all that effective to begin with. And now we have all this, now we have a little, I shouldn't say all this, but now we have a little bit of extra yeah, time, yeah. right? Maybe we can yeah. spare five minutes. Mm -hmm. um, and then what, what could we plant? What could we sprinkle in that that's new that might actually, you know, be very effective and minimal right. time. You know, and I, I, I think that funny. was very wise of, reading like leadership yeah. to frame yeah. it in that context. I, I love that, that metaphor. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You can't plant unless you right. make space. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and of course the idea too, is that there's no teacher out there who isn't filling a day and working as right. hard as she can. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, I always say to teachers, Hey, you know, how many of you have that pesky hour at the end of the day? You just don't know what to do with. I mean, nobody, you know, we fill the days, right? Right. We, um, you know, and, and so how do we, how do we make those choices? And I, yeah. I read not too long ago that a teacher makes something like 1200 decisions every day. And so about right. what, what becomes the guidepost or the, you know, what becomes that roadmap that can help you weed out, you know, what right. you choose so that you are making room for those flowers. And, and sometimes the hardest part is pulling some of those weeds. Absolutely. Yeah. And we are, we, t we tend to be hoarders as teachers, right? We don't want to throw yeah. out everything because yeah. you know, we might need it one day, <laughs> but, yeah. but it does take, I think you, like you said, you've used so many great words today. It takes curiosity. It takes, um, I think at one point you said courage or bravery. Mm -hmm. It takes that Absolutely. as a, you know, and I think yeah. there's this sense of an open heart an openness to change an openness. Yeah. To willingness. The other thing I really like what you said is community. And how do we build a community of support? Um, and of course, you mentioned the Reading League and building that community. As a, as a, as a young teacher, um, how important is, like, a, like your social media, how important is that in building community as an educator? Yeah, it's, it, can be, it can be incredibly important. Um, and, you know, like, like with anything on the internet, you certainly have to be, you know, a wise consumer. Um, I know our gener my generation in particular, um, when you're a new teacher and depending on where you are, you might have limited resources or, you know, um, kind of a thin curriculum and it can be very easy to just go on Google, Google, right. And search for something or Pinterest or teachers, fake teachers, you know, we've all, we've all been there, right. And been in a pinch. Um, but if you, if you have colleagues and community, whether it's, you know, the, um, the, the teacher next door that, you know, has been doing this, um, doing this work alongside with you, but maybe it maybe can bring a little bit more experience to it or mm -hmm. um, your, you know, social networks groups such as um, the Reading League. There's, you know, mm -hmm. we recently created a, a page for teachers, which I think right. will be powerful because now we can kind of go to one place and you know, throw out questions and connect with each other in a safe space where we're not feeling judged. Mm -hmm. um, that can be very powerful, yeah. much more effective than just, you know, blindly searching on the internet in hopes that you can find, you know, right. an activity. Right. Yeah. Um, having, yeah, I, you know, I, knowledgeable people in your corner and, it, and knowing what to, you know, knowing what to look for, knowing, mm -hmm. um, 
that that can be tough. Yeah, like well, like you said, you know, um, you know, discerning. You know, like yes, you can get on Google and you can find mm -hmm. all sorts of resources, but how do you right. discern? How do you know? Yeah. Well, then that of course comes back to knowing exactly, you know, knowing the research yeah. base. And so I think that can be applied to to even just you know your your intervention programs or your your core curriculum. Um, exactly. You might not have a some a, a ton of choice about what you're given off the shelf. Mm -hmm. um, or you might have lots of options and you might be trying to search for the perfect program. But the reality is, is that there's no one thing that you can mm. unbox that will work for all students, you know, 100% of the time. It really is the, the, the teacher mm. having the knowledge to know how to, knowing how to use the program that will make all the difference. Knowing how to make those 1500 decisions, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, what do you think is the greatest gift, um, as a board member of the Reading League, what do you think is the greatest gift that the Reading League can offer to educators? I, I, I mean, the first word that jumped into my mind was just um, support. I think, mm -hmm. you know, different teachers are going to need different things on different days, and we're all coming to this, this mm -hmm. work at different places. Um, I'm hopeful that as more new teachers enter the field, um, they will be a little bit more prepared you know, we're starting to see more shifts in teacher prep programs. So they might not need, you know, this extensive um, kind of training that we're doing with, you know, current teachers. They might already come to it, um, hopefully, <laughs> one day, right, with um, a deeper a deeper level of knowledge. Um, but it, it, it might just be that, that community that when you're actually there in the classroom, you know, day in and day out, you know, having a safe space to ask and answer questions to provide ongoing support for, um, you know, the the different challenges you face. I mean, yeah. I don't think any teacher will ever, <laughs> you know, be prepared to teach every single student every single year. There's always going to be yeah. some unique challenges. Um, mm -hmm. And that's where we really have to lean in and rely on each other. Mm -hmm. um, and then as there are, you know, just as teacher prep and programs are growing and evolving, you know, I'm, I'm sure that the the fields of research and, you know, cognitive neuroscience will be growing and that's not information that will be readily available to us. So I, I see the reading league as this, this, this bridge, uh, you know, bringing uh, knowledge into practice, you know, mm -hmm. keeping us current, keeping us informed um, and just helping us to be the best we can be. Yeah. That's, that's great. I mean, I, and I do think, I mean, you know, this, we share that mission, you know, bringing that knowledge to practice. Um, and I like what you said too about meeting people where they are. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important that um, we as teachers, as educators can be self-reflective enough mm -hmm. to think about, okay, here's where I am now. Mm -hmm. You know, how do I become curious or how do I nurture my own curiosity to help mm -hmm. me, you know, move forward from here and evolve. Yeah. Right. Um, so what are some plans and aspirations you have for yourself and your <laughs> career as you look toward your future? Yeah, um, you know, things seem to be happening kind of within the last year or so, just a little, you know, at warp speed, it's it's almost hard to even, especially with the current situation, it's hard to visualize even what tomorrow will look like with <laughs> everything changing so much. But um, I'm really enjoying my role right now as a reading specialist. Um, I, I switched a couple of years ago tracks um, and I ended up um, being able to, to land in one building. Oftentimes with special education, you're kind of going um, you might be in different buildings or even split as I was, depending on, you know, numbers and caseloads, but this position allowed me a bit more of a permanent 
um, you know, home, <laughs> so to speak. And yeah. um, I, I think I bring up culture and community so much because um, I really do. I really have found that at, at my school in Lanigan at, in the Fulton City School District. Um, so I'm excited to kind of keep, you know, building what we've what we started, um, especially at the primary level with with reading instruction. Um, and kind of, you know, start start mentoring some younger teachers. Um, I've really enjoyed taking on um, uh, the role as an adjunct professor. Um, mm-hmm. That's really, yeah. you know, helped me grow in different ways and has allowed me to, again, mentor some younger teachers. Um, I was, I'm able to become a student teacher this year. Um, so that's going to be an exciting new challenge. Um, so, yeah, I'm just, right now, I'm just really looking forward to kind of growing in my role yeah. at my school, but you never know. We'll see what the future holds. <laughs> yeah, Jessica, you're such a, um, I just love your enthusiasm and your spirit and you just, you're, thank you. You're from the heart. <laughs> well, thank you. What advice would you give to a new teacher or a teacher early in her career um, who wants to take those first steps, who's curious and wants to take a first step? Kind of where's a, where's a place to start? Yeah, it's um, so many things. Um, I know for me, if I could talk to, you know, myself when I was starting off, I, I would just tell myself to give myself some grace and have patience because I know I was the type of person that, you know, you enter a field like special education, you just, you just want to save the world, right? You want to fix everything. You want to teach everybody everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a, it's a very humbling type of job because you, you learn very quickly that there's a lot you don't know. Um, and there's a lot that you still have left to learn um, from from your colleagues, from people that have been there longer than you, but also from your students. Um, I definitely I definitely learn more every year. So you know, just being being open to the idea that you you don't have to have it all together right now. You don't have to know everything, um, but there is a lot you can do. So just be open to you know all of the knowledge that you can get. Take advantage of um, you know content and knowledge and um, people that have been there longer than you mm-hmm. and um, just be, just be open to all sorts of experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to take risks, you know, get in there and get your feet wet, you know, substitute mm-hmm. when you can observe, um, you know, if you're like student teaching or you're in a position where you're observing, you know, just volunteer, get in front of kids and just, just start. <laughs> um, because you can, yeah. you can read all the articles in the world and it's important to have the knowledge, but until you're actually doing it, um, you know, that's where you, 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 you really start to make the magic happen. We start putting the two together. Um, and, and it'll be, it'll be messy at first. It won't be pretty. You'll make mistakes. <laughs> you'll teach the wrong lesson you'll slip and fall in front of kids. You'll do something goofy, but it's all part of the process. You know, that's like, that's like anything in life, right? Yeah. You'll be creative, be yeah. courageous. Um, yeah. You know, be curious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. This has just been lovely yeah. to speak with you and you're very uh, inspiring and you're, Aww. like I said, your, your yeah. energy is, is so, is so wonderful. And I just really appreciate that. Um, I do I've, been, close. I've had great mentors and teachers along the oh, way. Oh, that's so. great. Um, I do want to close with some um, some kind of rapid fire questions here. Ooh, so, um, <laughs> what was your favorite teacher growing up, and why? So many. It's, it that is difficult to pinpoint. Um, but I had what's that? Just one? Yeah, just one. <laughs> um, I had an um, an English teacher named Mrs. Weber in eleventh grade, um, and I really I really fell in love, you know, with books and reading and literature mm-hmm. and writing and and the whole process. Um, it's always, her class has always stayed with me. 
Isn't that amazing? I mean, I, I yeah. think if you ask anyone, they can always name a teacher who made a difference yeah. in their lives. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's hard to pick um, just one. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's true. Um, what is yeah. your favorite book, either as a child or as an adult? That has to be Harry Potter. <laughs> Definitely a Potterhead. Okay. <laughs> I could read them over and over and over oh, again. Oh, that's it's, awesome. Okay. Um, what are you reading right now? So I'm reading, right now I'm reading a book um, called Love Teach, as if I, you know, didn't, couldn't get enough of teaching during the day, right? Um, <laughs> but it's actually um, pretty near and dear to my heart. She was a blogger that I followed right when I started teaching. Um, she was, um, she, she wrote anonymously. And it was just a very raw and real look about what it's like to be a new teacher. Um, wow. It's not necessarily something that, you know, would be found on a science of reading, you know, database, but mm. it, it just, it, it talks a lot about um, just building relationships with kids and all the things you do when you're, when you're young and new starting off. Um, mm -hmm. So very um, relatable stories, I guess, from the field. Well, that sounds, like a, that sounds like a good recommendation. Love, teach. Love, teach. Okay. Um, what do you have on your desk that symbolizes you or is dear to you? I have this, um, it's something so simple, but it's just this vase um, of like fake flowers with these little pebbles in it. Um, and I don't know what it is about it. I think that when I first started off, I, like I, like I mentioned, I was a special education teacher and I, I bounced from room to room a lot. Um, and I never really had like a home base. I was always at this school for half a day, then this school for the other half of the day. Okay. And I always just envisioned like when I'm finally kind of like settled and my roots are there. And, but that one little, that one little decorative piece kind of came with me from room to room. I love it. So love it. it just, it's just kind of a reminder of all the places I've been. <laughs> cool Simple, but it's probably gonna be with you your whole career yeah. <laughs> right? um and last question what are your greatest hopes for today's children i think right now more than anything i mean there's obviously so much that needs to be done um with reading with the science of reading mm -hmm. but um ultimately i want kids to be kind and compassionate and empathetic um, to the, to each other and to themselves. Um, Marianne Wolf's work really touched me when I, when I read her pieces, because, um, you know, she connects, you know, the hard neuroscience of reading to mm -hmm. the ultimate goal of reading for enjoyment and pleasure and finding yourself and characters and books, um, mm -hmm. and, and relating on th this deeper level, um, mm -hmm. that, that, that you're hard pressed to find through, you know, film and TV, you know, that's all, you know, there's a place for all of those wonderful things as well. But, um, you know, there's just something quite magical about, you know, going deep in a book with a character and, mm -hmm. and relating on that level. Um, and I think that that's something that really, as, as Dr. Wolf has alluded to, that really fosters empathy and, and mm -hmm. compassion. And I think that's something our world really needs right now. Well, lovely. Well said. Well said. It's the, it's the gift of leading a literate life. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jessica. It's been, this has been lovely. It's just so wonderful to hear from you. And, and I thank you for the work that you're doing. And I know that uh, everyone tuning in to this will really appreciate um, your perspective and your enthusiasm and your joy for teaching. So thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you, Jessica. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. All right. Wonderful. 
Thank you for listening today. Um, I could just chat with Jessica all day. Her energy and her excitement are just so contagious. So the Reading League is committed to bringing you conversations like this and offering you resources to support you in your journey. If you haven't yet checked us out, please check us out at www.thereadingleague.org. You're going to see we have a fabulous knowledge page, which will lead you to lots of great resources to build your own knowledge base. We offer conference, live stream events, professional development. Um, we have a tremendous YouTube channel with very accessible videos. Um, and we want you to join us as a member. And with that paid membership, you get a subscription to our journal, which, uh, as Jessica mentioned, um, really bridges that research to practice, which is really what we're all about. Uh, so feel free to join us, check us out, um, and thank you for listening. Hope to see you again soon.